All right. Call the meeting to order. Okay, welcome to the Queen Anne's County Commissioner's meeting. This is a public meeting that is being aired live on our local te cable television station, QAC-TV7. These media broadcasts provide county citizens an opportunity to watch and review our scheduled public meetings. In addition to our live audience this evening, we are providing remote options for citizens to watch and participate in county commissioner meetings. Citizens may watch our meeting live on our Queen Anne's County website at www.qac.org live or on our television channel, Atlantic, excuse me, now Breeze Line Channel 7 and High Definition Channel 507. Citizens may also participate by joining the live Zoom meeting by going to www.qac.org slash public comment. And citizens may also email comments to public comment at qac.org. Comments received will be read during the press and public comment period on this evening's agenda. We acknowledge your participation and by attending, you acknowledge that this session is both recorded and aired. Press and public comment will be taken and is limited three minutes per person. If you care to speak, please sign the sheet on the information table outside in our lobby. Comments longer than three minutes can be submitted in writing for the county commissioner's review. We will now stand and be led in the Pledge of Allegiance by Commission President Chris Corcorino. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Hugo, please <coughs> remain standing a moment for uh, the people of Ukraine. Thank you. <clears throat> okay, commissioners, that brings us to the approval for today's uh, meeting. Uh, our agenda for today's meeting, March the 8th, and the regular and closed session minutes from your February 22nd meeting, along with the roads board minutes from your February 8th meeting have been circulated for review. Do we have any additions and or corrections? We have motion to add action item 12 to the agenda. Second. All right, all in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? Motion to accept the agenda as amended and the meeting minutes. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Okay, four in favor, one absent for all. You can do that all night. <laughs> just, just point it out. <laughs> Can't you just say, and one in Aruba? Com Commissioner Miranda is on assignment for the county today. That's why he is not here. He's on assignment. <laughs> all right, commissioners, that brings us to our first uh, press and public comment period. So thank you for taking the time to express your views to the county commissioners. Comments are limited to three minutes per person. Comments longer than three minutes can be submitted in writing. This commission respects your desire and right to convey your message freely. When you come forward, please speak clearly at the standing microphone. I think we have nobody. State your name, address, topic of interest, and in keeping with the dignity of our office, we ask that all views be expressed in a respectful and civil manner. This commission respect, respects your desire to, and right to convey your message freely. We ask as a courtesy to the board and our citizens that you respect the commissioner's request and refrain from naming citizens and name calling when offering any critique. Oh, inside up. Oh. Anybody online? Nothing Anybody in the room who would like to speak for press and public comment? We'll close press and public comment. All right, commissioners, uh, we have our presentations here this evening. They are 
Next on the agenda, and we have the distinguished Dr. Joe Ciatola, our health officer in the Queen Anne's County Health uh, Department to give us an update on the pandemic. I believe we have a presentation here. Yes, it's on the screen. Perfect, so Dr. Ciatola, the floor is yours. Do you have somewhere else to be tonight, Doc? No, I did this for you. I was going to say, you're looking awful sharp. <laughs> you're looking awful sharp. <laughs> Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening. Good evening. Well, I'm glad to see that uh, spring is around the corner. It's nice to see the jonquils and the daffodils poking their heads up, because <laughs> I feel the same way. I feel like I've been the groundhog <laughs> with the COVID. Let's say the last eight months since July 1st of last year has been a challenge. And we have adapted and overcome several obstacles. The most pressing of which is since December 3rd of last year with the cyber attack to the Maryland Department of Health we have not had access to our computers or our data. We have, to, we have no internet in the health department. We are using essentially hotspots off of cell phones. So it has made it challenging, but we have adapted and we've continued to, to plunge forward in getting the responsibilities and the needs of the community. I know this has got to be a 10 minute presentation but when you look at what the county has had to go through since July and dealing with COVID and then the Omicron variant, which really took us for a wild ride in December and January. And when I show you the numbers, you will actually see what we've been dealing with. One of the other pressing issues is looking at the rate of positivity and the case rate. And I will gladly tell you it is time for a breath of fresh air. The state's seven day average of positivity sits at 1.6%. Mm. Queen Anne County is sitting at 1.2 as of this morning. The, the case rate for the state is 5.7 for the last two weeks we're at 3.1. So we have definitely seen a decrease in activity with COVID. As you know, our schools are now no longer mandated for facial coverings. This is personal choice. And the same way that this county has been for a long time, <coughs> personal choice in public areas and meetings. We still need to protect our vulnerable Healthcare facilities, it's still mandated. So, so how are we on uh, transportation? It still mandates on, no. on transportation? No, right, so lift that. Bus. Buses, school buses? School buses, no. Okay. Okay, where we sit is with the federal mandate, which is essentially trains, planes, okay. and commercial buses that are running through federal highways. Okay. So. <clears throat> we presented, basically showing what we've done. We were averaging about 600 PCR tests a month since July. 
We did essentially a thousand PCR tests in January alone. We distributed, after purchasing, 32,000 rapid take-home tests to the public. The health department bought those because we could not get them from the state. Thankfully, we are now being reimbursed by the state as we put the request in. Matter of fact, this month we got 10,000, my plan to put in and get an additional 10,000 over the next two to three months to cover the 32,000 that we purchased. We have been giving these out not only to the county agencies, but through the libraries, both Kent Island, Centerville, and the Settlersville Private Library, and with the cooperation of United Community Fire Department, Kent Island Fire Department, and Settlersville Fire Department, we're able to give out those 32,000 rapid tests to the general public. We were also giving out N95 masks and KN95s. There's your test graft, and we're going to fly through some of this. I think this tells the whole story. December 21, we had 1,873 positive cases. In January, 1,879. Look where we went in February, 254. You talk about over 100%, I, yeah. And where we stand today, we're sitting at 12 positive cases so far for the month of March. So you can see this drastic change. You look at where we are now and look back to June of 21, where we all thought we were hitting that nice sweet spot of being through the, the, the worst of this. But I'm a little concerned that we still have to be vigilant for our Easter holidays and our spring breaks. This is hospitalization data. And up to this point in time, the total number of hospitalized patients was essentially 296. And that has been since the beginning of the pandemic. Unfortunately, our deaths were 103. A large majority of those came out of our our assisted living and nursing homes. But when you really study this, you look at the number of comorbidities that the number of these patients had, and you look at the age distribution, and it really shows where the majority of the high case rates. And really, when you start looking at this, it's in that 35 to 44-year-old area all the way up to 95 and 110. And you see a big, huge percentage, almost 15%, 25 to 34, 35 to 44, 45 to 54. And that's where you start seeing <coughs> your hospitalization number go up. Now, when you look at under 19, we essentially, the entire pandemic, have had seven pediatric hospitalizations. 
Thankfully, no pediatric deaths. And that's your total case rate. All of this will be available from QACTV, linked to the presentation, so anybody in the public that wants to look at this. Vaccination percentages. When you look at the percentage for total population of what we are at about 50,000, you see that we were doing pretty good considering that in our greater than 12 years of age and greater than 18, percentage of fully vaccinated at about 73 and 75%. Looking at our most vulnerable, greater than 65 years of age, we did 90% of those individuals. You see a decrease in the amount of booster percent and that's not uncommon right now because we're still going through that booster period and some people are opting not to have the boosters. And when you look at the number of individuals that were hospitalized, 2,500, or positive cases rather, positive cases, 2,546 of them Did not were have. fully vaccinated and still got it. So there is herd immunity. There's immunity from having COVID, and in some of the studies now show that the antibodies that you get from having COVID last a little bit longer than the antibodies that we're getting from the vaccine. And what we have done over the last six months is run a test with our health department employees who have volunteered, as well as our Department of Emergency Service personnel doing antibody levels. And it's very interesting to see the variation in antibody level post-vaccination and post-booster. And we're also now doing those that have had positive confirmed COVID by PCR test and see where their antibodies are or if there are any at all. This continues to really evaluate and look at how COVID has responded to these vaccines. That's a good reason, presentation of how many we vaccinated. Now remember, we didn't get the vaccine till when? End of December, beginning of January, right? Yep. So you see November, December, January 22. It was slow coming out, obviously doing vaccinations back in July of 21. But we ramped up in November and December. Well, we weren't slow with the supply from the state. That was the problem back then. Our problem has always been, and the same thing with the rapid take-home test. Yeah, They were sending us 300 a week. Right. What am I going to do with 300 a week when we got a population of 50,000? So, now, despite COVID and despite everything you've seen, what we've been doing, as you see, the, the mask giveaways that we were doing. We were making sure that everybody had as many masks as they would want. And thankfully, they were well received. We distributed about 54,000 of the N95 and the KN95s. This is looking at your death by group and age group. And you can see where the majority of our deaths occurred were anywhere from 75 up 
you started to see a significant percentage of deaths. And that being because of the significant amount of comorbidities that we found in this patient population. And doctor, we talked before the meeting. Can you share with the public, people hear the word comorbidity, and some people, I don't well, let's think, talk understand about what, what those underlying things are. What are those underlying conditions? Right. Obesity. Obesity, diabetes, congestive heart failure, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease are some of your major contributing congestive heart failure are some of your comorbidities that led to death. Let's face it. As a health system, the United States failed their public. If we could have addressed those comorbidity conditions prior to the onset of this pandemic, what would have our fatality numbers been? What would our hospitalization numbers been? What would the death rate have been had we had a healthier society? The first thing we need to address is improving the overall health and our population and I think and I think that 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 would be the silver lining of the cloud that will come out of this is, is well, we'll have that factual data of, to say that is one of the things <clears throat> that I would like to have our health department and the University of Maryland medical system look at look at the comorbidities of the people that passed away from COVID and what could we have done differently but the big thing is let's start talking about our children our younger age group. How are we going to fight childhood obesity, childhood diabetes, and change this perspective because we see what happens when something like this occurs. And one of the major things that we've started in the health department is working a A1C program for diabetes with the county employees. We're also doing it with some of the private practices using our mobile integrated health team. Matter of fact, this past week, we were down at Sanitary working with county employees to start working with their A1C levels. This is voluntary, but this is to improve the overall health outcomes in not only our workforce, but the citizens of Queen Anne County. So people that are volunteering for that program, because it was interesting, I remember getting the, the information about it. But are these folks that have it already? Yes. have high have are dealing with or are meds have, and dealing with a1c uh, levels we did not get a lot of pre-diabetics with it they are already being treated for diabetes but we're trying to manage their diabetics the plan is to start looking at those individuals that are pre-diabetic or have essentially clinical findings of increased sugar levels and start working with them but not only from a nutritional standpoint but with monitoring their a1c's and also increasing their activity level and exercise level and healthy eating. So, so real quick too, so I know it's probably still too early to see any of these numbers, but have, have we looked at, at the rest of the world in terms of their comorbidities and figured out who the healthiest country is? I know the U.S. isn't obviously, but I mean where the death rates were lower and is it uh, stress? You know what I mean? There's other, I, I got to believe there's other factors, factors yeah. uh, that play in, you know, living in, in big cities, obviously. I'm, I'm sure that over the next six months to a year, that's going to be the focus of a lot of studies, mm -hmm. a lot of clinical studies, a lot of epidemiological studies. And motivation would, to make changes. 
Thank you. Just because COVID was going on, and we that's your hospitalization slide broken down in a graph, pie-shaped graph. But the normal function of the health department still continued. We were continuing to do our health preparedness. We were essentially vaccinating for flu as well as COVID. We did our investigation for 21 rabies exposures, basically been still doing TB screening and flu vaccines. <coughs> And we've uh, also ad still administering the flu vac pneumonia vaccine for our elderly population. Our community wellness program was working pretty strong and up until January when things really started off coming off the rails as far as cases. So I pulled the team back. The team is now going back out as of March. At the very beginning of March, we are starting all of our home activities again. We are seeing patients actively in the health department. We've cut our vaccinations down to two days a week. We've cut our testing down to two days a week because we're trying to get back to the business of the health department, not just pandemic. The vaccinations are still by appointment? Yes. Can they make appointments that day or is it at least 24 hours? Um, Does probably because we're vaccinating in the afternoon, they can probably call in the morning, but preferably they call 24 hours before. Yeah. WIC program, we're getting back into the home. Healthy families, the same way. I know I'm flying through these, but everybody can have access to Health insurance program, children, reproductive health, family planning. We have done a lot of telework, phone appointments, but now we'll get back into in-person cancer screening and prevention. And one of the big problems with this, trying to get people scheduled for mammograms, colorectal checks, is a lot of the practices weren't seeing patients. Mm -hmm. So there was a very limited availability of medical services to these, but hopefully as the numbers have come down now, we can get back into doing what needs to be done. Our AIRS program, the same thing. We've been doing a lot of this with telephone, limited home visits, but we're gonna get back to full-scale involvement now. And the same thing with our mobile integrated health team. Mobile Integrate has been out there doing boosters, testing, assisted living, vaccination, employers, and we will continue that. Also, the other priority in the county is substance abuse and prevention. And we've been doing a lot of stuff with the peers by phone and teleconferencing, but now we're getting back into one-on-one person-to-person face-to-face meetings and treatment. Environmental health, never, never missed a beat. 576 building permits, doing the food, surveillance, rabies, Thank you. Questions? Thank you. Well, it sure is a brighter picture than it was. <clears throat> I can remember you sitting there 11 months ago, 12 months ago, and that just, we just, we sat here speechless at all as to what we were potentially facing. And I just think it would, we'd be remiss if we didn't say a hearty thank you to you, Doc, 
and the, probably the sleepless nights that you suffered through. And then, of course, your staff and everything that you guys did. So thank you. I appreciate that. But that is a thank you that goes out to the entire staff of this yeah. county and to the commissioners. Thank you. Yep. Any other questions? Did I do it in 10 minutes, Margie? You did a great job. Yeah, you actually, you actually, you, yeah, get to, you, you, you now get to on. come back. No, <laughs> one and done. I'm gonna throw in a last one for you. It strikes me that with the inflation we have, we do have some very low end income people in this county and food prices and food availability is going to be something that I think this county needs, as everywhere in the United States is going to need to be aware of in the next six months. Um, any thoughts on that? Well, thankfully, we have a lot of farms in Queen Anne County. Oh, I don't and think I, there's a food shortage. But no, but I'm saying for availability, we can we can do a lot of our own vegetable availability. But when you talk about the non-farming stuff. I think some of the, f the federal money coming down from FEMA now could certainly be used to help our underserved population with access to food. Thank you, sir. Okay. Gentlemen, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Take care, Doc. Yeah. Steve Hole, good to see you. Thank you very much. All right, commissioners. Our next presenter is Mr. Robert Woolley and Colleen Williams. Robert is the owner-operator and Colleen is the Director of Operations on the Giving Edge Foundation. Bob, you got a great Welcome. segue with the whole kids' health thing from the doc. You couldn't have <laughs> you 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 planned that. You know. I was sitting here thinking the same four. thing. Oh, no, He's back there adjusting his notes. Yeah, He's going, wait a minute, we got to add this. I'm going to play off this or watch this. <laughs> this couldn't have been right. set up any better. Uh, and commissioners, in your book, tab number six, item number two, Roman number two is uh, the, the presentation that they have. I don't think they have a... PowerPoint, right? PowerPoint. Or, oh, you do have PowerPoint? Oh, Excuse me. Excuse okay. me. Okay. Well, Thank there is a section you. in your book, uh, item two, and we also have a presentation. All right. First of all, thanks a lot for having us. Uh, we've got personal connections with you guys, so communications along the way are always nice to let you guys know what we're up to. Um, the problem that we've had over the course of the years is never telling the rest of the world, right? basically. We're very humble about the things that we do uh, for the community, so uh, in hiring Colleen, it was essential for us to start to realize that it's okay for us to shout from the treetops. So thanks Absolutely for uh, welcoming us out here to tell you a little bit about what we've been up to for the last several years. And most notably recently with bringing Colleen on, just have answered so many recent uh, calls to problems. So as we go through this, um, we should have plenty of time at the end for questions. Um, we'll buzz through just like uh, Doc did. So um, we'll get to the, uh, if there's any questions on the back end. So uh, I myself, Robert Woolley, um, I own the Edge Arena in Stevensville, the Edge Training Academy. Both of those opened in 2013. Yes, we're very much a health oriented organization. The foundation was started um, at that same point in time with an anonymous donation um, in 2013. So um, Colleen here, uh, Director of Operations, she just came on about four months ago. It's been a blessing just a complete blessing. We were gonna to sit together and have a chit chat. Um, her mom is Peggy Miller, so she's very active in a lot of the youth uh, aquatics in the area. And she felt we had to get together and chat and I hired her on the spot because it was just <laughs> something we had to do. You know, the, as you'll see through the uh, 
presentation, the foundation has sit pretty idle in the background. Um, as we're always focused on getting the business to kind of sustainability, um, it's just been the way it's, it's worked. You know, it's been kind of the, the redheaded stepchild, you know, something that I'm all too familiar with. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, go ahead. And, and something I definitely want to add, um, you know, I, I don't know many of you, um, but Bobby and I, we did grow up here on Kent Island. Um, we actually grew up in the same community and stuff, so, um, and now, you know, we have the pleasure of, you know, having our families here and sharing that experience with them. So we feel really indebted when we're trying to offer these youth programs and stuff that our kids are one day going to experience that. So we feel really indebted in the... It's a great motivator. It is. It is a really good motivator. Um, you know, and, and looking back on, you know, what we didn't have as kids growing up here and potentially what we can offer for our youth. That's really always been the, you can go ahead and click through the next one. That's always been my void. It's, you know, growing up here, going through the sports programs and everything, it was, it was always so evident to me the things that we weren't privy of or the opportunities that we kind of lacked. So that was the whole basis of us starting the for-profit side as well as the nonprofit. So it's always been a fill the void kind of scenario. So. Yeah. So a little bit about the foundation. Um, so our mission is for young people to grow into successful, caring, responsible, and productive adults by building partnerships and community support. We achieve this through providing opportunities for youth to engage in community service projects, character development, scholastic achievement activities, and supporting our youth's social and emotional needs. When the community calls, we answer. This slide really is um, just a complete push towards um, never letting risk stop us. Um, quite frankly, we've, uh, since 2013, never really had a face and a heartbeat behind it, aside from the little bit of effort I can do here and there and really try to pull together any in internal funding to try to cover up initiatives. We never had any real fundraising campaigns or a source of uh, financial backing, with the exception of that first uh, anonymous donation. So we've really done a lot with a little, you know, and assuming the risk with a situation like Colleen stepping foot in my door and saying, you know what, there's a risk we have to take. I'm going to cover whatever financial upfront we have to do it to get this thing rolling. And then from there, have faith that we're going to do good with the backing of the community. And that's just where we are. Um, 2013, as you can see, that's the, the date of uh, when, when we kick things off there. Um, as you'll see, a lot of different names that will probably uh, ring a bell to you. Uh, we started a, a very key partnership there with Partnering for Youth in the schools in 2013. So um, I think Miss Linda just showed up. So Miss Linda will tell you, I was so, so stinking excited the first day they showed up with a school bus full of kids and we got to teach them a little bit more about health and fitness and um, how they could better themselves. And it was, it was very unique at that point in time to see how many kids showed up in jeans and not wearing tennis shoes, and it was just, it was very eye-opening to say, these kids just want to generally get to learn more about themselves, get better fitness advice, and, and try to push that forward into their overall life. So Partnering for Youth has been key. We've done so many different uh, elements, not just fitness, but we've done basketball, soccer, you name it, we've run it through us. So 2014, we had a little uh, flurry of activity there with a, a win the day 5K. That was the backbone of our Hero Boys Run Club. Um, so that's something that we took great pride in. Uh, the community service side of things there, you see community beach cleanups. Uh, we've done several of those prior to Canal and Beach cleanups becoming a or like an organized group. We were uh, taking care of Terrapin Beach and some other areas, uh, Mattapique as well. 
Um, in 2016, you'll see there the Win the Day program at Kennelan High School kicked off. That's something that has uh, provided a great deal of excitement. Um, it's all designed about creating positive behavior incentive within the school ecosystem. Uh, so if you're the principal, you can nominate a kid for a positive action, uh, anything that's either spreading kindness, doing a random act of kindness, um, doing anything for anyone really. If it's recognizable and it's something that we feel is going out of, uh, out of the way for someone, uh, those things are the things we really were, were keying on. So again, it wasn't just the athletes, and that's really what started it. We, we always knew that the athletes got their, their jackets they got to wear walking down the hallway. You know, so they got their recognition, and rightfully so. Um, but the kids who were just generally good people doing the right things, uh, we felt that putting a win the day t-shirt on their back and letting them cruise the hallways with the same type of prowess, uh, it meant a lot. So we had great feedback from the administrators at the school there. As we fast forward way ahead um, in bringing Colleen on, it was something that we felt needed to expand. So we, we did do that this semester. We're now in five schools. Um, so that's something that is, is very uh, integral to our current activity. And we're very excited to see where that really, where, where it kicks, or where it takes us. So um, we'll skip over a little bit of that. But the one key thing there in bold that you want to uh, key in on is the virtual learning. When things took a crash, COVID hit, school wasn't really sure if they were going to go live or go virtual, we immediately stepped into action. Um, we, again, took a risk, hired somebody, said we need to plan as if this is going to be a virtual support program. And literally the day before school announced, we got our licensing through the Maryland State Department of Education to be able to support uh, 18 families uh, throughout that really tough time. So that is by far one of our um, most proud um, achievements that um, you know we we acted on our gut and and frankly it was something that ended up being a huge need so um, posted 2021 Kennelan High School prom kind of in the middle of the comeback and that was something you know we're always there and people people don't realize I think that the facilities that we occupy are a direct feeder to this you know if there's a need in the community that presents itself we want to open our doors as frequently as possible for profit or not for profit most oftentimes something like that is a heavily discounted or no fee use of space because the, the nonprofit foundation is there, right? Do we ask for funding from the nonprofit foundation? Not typically. So if it's a gift back to the community for something like that, we really take pride in doing that since we are, again, both from here and have a lot of ties to the community. So that 2022 Win the Day PBIS expansion is right now, that's our hotspot. You can look at some of the other things and see that um, we have other activities, the youth fundamentals and summer camp and so on and so forth, but that's something that I think Colleen has just really been grinding on and making sure that um, we can make as big of an impact in this uh, county as possible with hopes of next school year having it in every school. It's just something that we think can't be overlooked. Um, something I would like to add, um, so a lot of our programs and stuff right now, such as our Great Freight Kids, our No Days Off, our summer camp, our focus, and when people hear the edge, they think athletics and focus. So we're kind of reworking it now to focus on the youth as a whole. What makes you a great individual? So kind of reintegrating, especially with that character count stuff, um, 
We've really tried to tap in. I um, actually made flashcards for all of our instructors so that they can tap that stuff saying, oh, wow, you're showing really great leadership skills in this activity. Um, and we're really noticing a lot of positive feedback from the kids. They're continuing to come back. They're forming relationships with each other. We've also um, have just received um, some stuff. So we're doing also incorporating tobacco prevention messages. Um, so kids kind of get some like swag and stuff to kind of help reintegrate that prevention. They're also receiving a message kind of like once a week at the end of those classes. So we're trying to incorporate this stuff that's already in place within the county, such as the character counts, um, the tobacco substance and prevention, and making sure that they're getting touch points in our programs as well. Um, because the more we're touching them in that area, then it's they're going to remember it. Sure. So we're really trying to make sure that what we're doing is intentional, that we're not just throwing a program out there. Um, so kind of where we are right now is we have liftoff um, in kind of what we're about to do. So as Bobby and I stated, we grew up here. And I think till this day, we still hear that there is nothing for kids to do. Um, <laughs> I think that is we so that Oh, my daily. gosh. Yeah, I've never heard that one before. No. no. Um, but we and as I've been meeting with key people within our community and inviting people to come um, our door is always open and I always tell people just come seeing is believing um, just come have a conversation just see what we're offering um, see the facility it is truly a hidden gem in the business park um, we did not have anything like that when I was growing up on um, the indoor turf field again there are endless possibilities but what we're continuing to hear from people are these needs and stuff. Um, so some of this, we kind of broke it out in, in kind of how, how we can help fill the void and stuff with some of this. Um, so professional certifications through some of our programs that we're looking to offer, additional scholarship opportunities, reconnecting the community, combating current social issues, advancing physical and mental health initiatives. You know, Doc just talked about that. It starts with our youth. And then advance, um, further incentivizing positive behavior amongst our youth. So again, trying to get our win the day program across all schools in Queen Anne's County. That way, starting at the elementary school, they're gonna build upon it in middle, and then hopefully get that touch point in high school. Um, so as we said, you know, definitely try to join us as we kind of soar to new heights right now. Um, we've got a lot happening. Um, and I think the Edge, the Giving the Edge Foundation is, is on a really great path to doing some really awesome things for the youth. Um, as you saw in just this short time, we have really made amazing connections. And the, the slide prior, you know, as those broad stroke titles hit you, you probably can sit there and think of a few things that you've had presented to you. We're not hiding from that. Those are the things that we want to focus on and try to really target solutions. Um, that's where our heart is. Uh, being here and knowing we've been through the system is, is something that uh, means a ton to us, and that's why we're here today. We obviously want to make sure you guys are understanding who we are and what we're doing, um, but it's not just resting on our laurels of things we've done. We, we are very, when I say, we're spending a ton more time in the foundation than we are in the business. I can promise you that. All of the conversations that are pre being presented to us are... Uh, <coughs> things that we feel confident that we can come to the table with solutions. We're not going to do it all. There's no way. You know, there's a, it takes a village, and that's something that we obviously uh, understand very well. But with the resources and the space and the things that we can offer up to reconnect the community and provide these positive behavior incentives, 
you know, if we're just tacking the needle in one direction ever so slightly and we can rest on that, then we know we've done our job. And that's where we are today, so. That's good stuff. You, uh, you, know, with the, you know, the county's obviously got programs, uh, Parks and Recs, you know, Recreation's got programs, camps and things like that. Um, and, and, and they cost money, you know, to be able to enroll, you know, children in that program. Um, so you guys are certainly are providing um, an opportunity for kids who come from families that are financially challenged that could participate in programs like this. And that's one of the big things that we, when we revamped all of our in-house programs, um, we shifted all price points way down with the intent to say, it's our job to go out and seek funding and find a way to allow that those doors are fully open. Mm -hmm. It's not just your athletes and or families who have the extra you know, cash on hand to, to go. You know, if there is an issue with funding, right on our uh, website, it, it says clearly, you know, if you need any type of financial support, <coughs> please do not let that be a barrier. Uh, just send us a quick message and we are happy, happy to provide that opportunity for you. It's tough. So I just, um, what I like about it, I was reading the things that you have under there and obviously um, one of the things I push for is the CT programs, uh, alternate career paths. And I think with your basis here, I think this goes a long way to sure. reprogramming our kids and our parents alike to the fact that college isn't for every kid. And maybe this program opens their eyes to other things. Maybe it's not a hands-on trade at that point, but it's may maybe the, the feeling that, okay, sports, I'm not a good athlete, but I have other opportunities. And what, what are those? I think it's great that you guys are opening kids' eyes to other opportunities because I think besides the health side, um, we're going to need a productive workforce going forward for the next 30 or 40 years as we're seeing supply chain issues and everything else where our shortages are. And sure. I mean, it's, you know, it's phenomenal. You can, uh, this is a great program to, like I said, give kids other ways to look at life other than behind an iPad or, a, you know. It's ironic you bring the iPad to the table though because there are, you know, so many things now that we are able to potentially shift into uh, providing a youngster uh, you know, drone piloting certification. You know, oh, it's something. Program. I mean, it's just something that is in such high demand. It, it's a, a wave of the future, and you don't have to be a college graduate to go be a drone pilot. Right. You know, it's something that we are actively seeking funding to uh, to launch uh, through PFY to initiate as a, as a, as a pilot program uh, to make sure that we have the the right hardware and the right programs uh, in the building so that when they you know, have kids sign up for that, it's something that we can actually hand over a certificate and say, hey, at the, at the completion of this program, you're actually certified to go and understand a drone, build your own, race it if you wish, or go out and get a job with it. You know, these things are, you know, they're critical skills that, you know, they will have opportunity with. Um, so, yeah, that's absolutely. That's very cool. You can't, you'll probably crash it. I, so. no, I, they won't even let Skilders have a no. controller. He's no, not going no. to get near it. Can't, can't. Which one makes it go fast? <laughs> banging the walls. Well, hats off to both of yeah, you. Great Excellent. Job. And your commitment to come on board and work with Bobby. And don't, and don't be afraid to shout from the treetops when you're doing something that's good. Honestly. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, it's the quote that we keep saying and we keep going back to. We've been like far too humble for far too long. And when you're in the just do, 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 you're digging, you're digging, you're digging. Kind of got the blinders on. Absolutely, yeah. you know, so. Well, when, you're busy on your mission and you're not thinking about the PR. So, that, so here's yeah, the thing. Absolutely. So you two have to come back uh, maybe um, at the end of the summer 
uh, and then share with us some of the progress that you've made because this is the first time you've been in front of us and shared the program. Um, summer programs, yeah, at the end of the summer. So at the end of the summer, come back and give us an update on, on how you're doing. Excellent. Absolutely. And and we're going, we're getting ready to uh, start a budget cycle already. God, it seems like we just finished it. No, that was the pandemic. Oh. Oh, yeah. So, but there's programs that we offer through our budget process. Of course. So make sure that you take advantage of those as well. Yep. We are well aware. We are, we are digging now in that direction. So Good. Excellent. The more we have, the more we'll do. That's a, that's a fact. So. Awesome. Congratulations Thanks, to both of you. Thank you. Thanks, gang. Thank you for your efforts. <coughs> I think Linda might have brought you guys cookies. I, I noticed the tin when she walked in. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> <laughs> no cookies. We just heard from Doc C. No obesity. We can't. Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't you make that decision bring, for me. Then you have to bring celery and carrots next time. Oh, okay. <laughs> keep bringing the cookies. That's fine. Yeah, keep bringing the cookies. All right, commissioners. Our, our next uh, pre presenter is uh, our own Nicole Hepfer, Director of Budget and Finance. And uh, she's going to give us the Spending Affordability Committee report. And I want to recognize Linda Kohler. She is here. She is one of the three members of the committee. If, if you want to come on up, Nicole. I mean, excuse me, uh, Linda, you come on up. And uh, Joe Zimmerman is the other member, along with uh, Dr. Bernie Sadusky, who couldn't be here this evening, but um, I do see. You see the tin, right? We see the tin, that's right. Now you're distracted. Yeah, that's right. Listen to Nicole first. <laughs> that's right. Uh, we, we, I can listen and eat. <laughs> Good evening. And uh, yeah, the report's in your, your binder as well, and we have it on the screen. Good evening, um, commissioners, and we're here to go over and present the spending affordability report and recommendations relating to the fiscal 2023 budget. Um, so we'll start. Um, just to start, we want to thank the committee members for taking time out of their schedules to be a part of the committee and of the process um, and working with the county. We started um, with the initial meeting, which was in October of 2021, um, where several members of the finance department met with the committee members. Um, and we started by going over the status of the economy, the budget and revenue comparisons, uh, the fund balance of the county, the expenditure and revenue forecast projections, and also the performance relative to county policies, um, such as the debt policy. And so next we have the budget guidelines. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Get in just a little bit. Sorry. Maybe you can pull one up for yourself. Thank you. Okay. So we started um, the budget guidelines with some of the recommendations that we went over during the committee meeting, um, and the the overall estimated budget growth for 2023 comparative to the 2022 budget was about 10.9% or 16 million based on current revenue projections. Um, and just to note, this is budget growth. It does, the projections do keep the actuals consistent with what we've seen in the, in the prior year. Um, and then the property tax growth projected by the State Department of Assessments and Taxations shows growth of about 3%. The homestead property tax credit remains at 5%, and the income tax is estimated to grow at about 2% above the 20, FY21 actual level. 
And then if we move on to the expenditures, um, some of the known expenditure increases for FY23 include in, an increase of approximately 6% in supplies, materials, contracted services, and other miscellaneous costs. And then we also have an estimated increase of about 5% in healthcare costs. Okay. And then continuing with expenditures, the maintenance of effort is based on the current law, which is dependent on enrollment change. Um, the current law states the max is 2.5%. We're still waiting on the final maintenance of effort certificate, but the preliminary estimate that we have seen shows that the requirement for the county is at 340000 above the FY22 allocation. Um, but the state has noted that this is preliminary information and as we know from last year, the numbers aren't final until we do get that final certificate. Um, county employee salary and benefit costs for COLA, pay for performance, desk audits, all will be determined as part of the budget process. Um, and we did want to note that it is evident that there could be considerable pressure for increases, um, especially for the essential workforce. The contribution to OPEB will be in accordance with the actuarial evaluation like we have done over the last several years. And the fringe benefits are determined by the state. And last on this page, we noted that the rainy day fund will retain funding of at least 8% of budgeted revenues. And then continuing with the budget guidelines, um, for the capital budget, we will continue to follow the capital, uh, capital improvement program and the bond sales for FY22 are projected at 7.8 million and 10 million for FY23. It's also noted that transfers to in, for capital projects that we will use a limited amount of PAYGO funding from the general fund um, in order to minimize any new debt that we incur. And that we would also utilize county debt policy in considering the affordability of new capital projects, um, including limiting the debt service to less than 10%. And the last bullet on the capital budget just notes that if the capital fund balance is available, that it, we consider using that to reduce any new debt issuance. Okay, then on this slide we have our debt measures um, that we start with FY22 and we project out to FY28. Um, and again, we're showing on here the current bond debt amount of FY22 and then we're in increasing it each year by 7.8 million for FY22 and then 10 million for each year after that. Um, so at the end of FY28, the total estimated bond debt based on this would be $136.5 million. So roughly $4 million above where we are today. Right, because we do have debt that matures and we... Yeah, I told them to. Yeah, so that's a good balance. So right. we're literally only over those eight years taking on $4 million in additional debt. Correct. Okay, in the next several slides we get into the debt measures. Um, and this slide is debt as a percentage of assessable base, um, in which based on the county's current policy, the limit is 2.5%. Um, and you'll see on this slide that the FY22 is at 1.51 and through FY28 is at 
and then the next debt measure that we have is debt per capita to debt per capita income, which is a measure designed to reflect the debt affordability related to local wealth. Um, and the maximum is 8%, and in 2022 it's 4.32 and down to 4% in 2028. And the third measure is the debt per capita, which is a maximum of 3,000. In 2022, it's at 25.48, and it kind of goes up a little bit and then ends um, at 25.39 at 2028. But it, it really doesn't go up. I mean, it's very minimal amounts. And then the last debt measure slide that we have is debt as a per percentage of general fund expenditures. Um, and the current recommended maximum is 10%. And so we range in here from 709% all the way to, it goes down to 6.73 in 2028. In the two years that you see in 2024 and 2028 where it actually decreases a little bit is based because there's debt that matures the year before. So that's why it goes down and then it increases back up. My favorite page. <clears throat> and the revenue forecast, um, which there's a lot of information on this page because we included the actuals for FY20, FY21, um, budgeted amounts for FY21, FY22, um, and then a current forecast for FY22. And then the second to last column is what we presented to the Spending Affordability Committee when we met in October. Um, and you'll see that that projection is a bit higher than the current projection. Um, since we've had that time to evaluate rev additional revenues as they come in, um, we have brought the projection for 23 down, down a little bit. Um, so this is projecting for 2023 that the, the total revenues are 100 and almost 172 million, which that's where the budget growth compared to the FY22 adopted budget of 155.9, we have the 10.9%. Um, but when you compare the projected for FY23 to the forecast for FY22, we are projecting a 1% increase. So the revenues are very consistent. Um, in our projection with what we have, what we believe will be our um, revenue amounts for FY22. And then the, um, the next several slides are the committee recommendations, which as we go through a lot of these may sound familiar because a lot of them are consistent from year to year. Um, the first recommendation was advising the county that while the state of Maryland's revenue projections are favorable, that it, this is a volatile period in which outcomes can be predictable. Um, the next recommendation notes that although current projections remain strong, it is advisable to formulate a five-year operating budget, um, similar to what we do for cap the capital budget, so that we have those out years to review when decisions are being made. And the third recommendation is related to Kerwin Commission um, and just noting that there's still considerable uncertainty regarding Kerwin and that those 
discussion should occur during the budget process as well. Um, the fourth bullet is related to our debt measures um, and that the county should continue to observe agreed upon debt measures in considering future capital budgets and bond sales um, and that we should pay attention to the out years of the capital budget and not just the current year that is being adopted. And um, this committee recommendation um, goes over the challenges and recommending that the county consider these challenges over the next five years, such as the growth and comprehensive plan, um, including job growth and considerations of the types of jobs supported, the income and property tax trends and volatility, the economic development trends, um, and also education funding, including Kerwin, school construct construction, public facilities, and student enrollment. And um, next we have the capital budget recommendation and that we should take advantage of the county's strong financial condition through the use of fund balance and PAYGO reducing, reducing the reliance on debt. And that the county should also continue to fund infrastructure and scheduled replacements. And the next is consideration should be given to the county's future development plans and population growth, um, especially for the Board of Education projects. And that the county should also rely on its strong financial condition um, and long-term planning to avoid any tax increases. Okay, and this slide is, um, goes over the FY23 budget growth and the current forecast indicates strong budget growth of approximately 10% over the prior year budget. And it's noted that the 2021 experience of higher than anticipated growth in income tax is explained by conservative budgeting practices, increase in personal income tax collections, um, and also significant capital gains um, and wage gains evident in early calendar year 2021 and that the county should take all of this into consideration during the FY23 budget process. Okay, and in the report we also have some information on ARPA, which is the American Rescue Plan Act, um, and that it's noted that the county should discuss this as well during the budget process. Um, so the county will receive $9.8 million in ARPA funds between fiscal years 22 and 23. Um, and the final rule came out in January and it does give the county more flexibility in the use of the ARPA funds, um, but there are still considerations that need to be made to make sure that we are following all of the guidelines um, when decisions are made on the funding, on what projects or how we're gonna use the funding that's available. Can, can I stop you there real, real quick? I have a question. So, um, so these dollars that we're receiving in 22 and 23, um, if we accept them, are there restrictions? I mean, um, not necessarily restrictions on how we spend or allocate the monies, but are there things that, that perhaps maybe we want to do different in our budget process that we can't do um, because we receive this money? That not, you're aware that, of? not that I know of, other than if we 
allocate the money for certain projects or expenses, they have to qualify under the plan. Um, Which is very broad. It, when it started yeah, out, it right. was about this wide. Yeah, right. And now with all the inquiries in from different municipalities and counties across the country, now it's a huge, uh, they were really focused on certain things. But I mean, we've basically, we did with, it, with the broadband, we've actually kept it within the lines with some of the initial ones, so, okay. But yes, I, I, I just I just found this out through some research that yeah that the what you can do with it is much broader than what they first anticipated. So well, I, and 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 I I imagine, um, but that was not my question. My question really, and I'm probably just being vague, but my question is if we <clears throat> if we accept this money, I mean we have the right to accept it or not accept it. I mean, right. we, we've, everybody would say, why would we not accept we've, it? We've, we've accepted it. We've but are accepted there restraints it, yeah. to keep us from doing things in the future because we accepted this money? Not oh, that no. I know no. of. No. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of like the CARES funding. Um, we have a couple more years to spend it. I mean, the final rule, as Nicole mentioned, was like 400 pages of material. So there's a lot of documentation that we have, we've been working through. Um, so there are some eligible uses that, that we can cover here now that we've, we've talked about. Uh, going forward, but wouldn't impact us going forward if we accept the uh, the funds. I mean, I, my feelings on it we have, is, is infrastructure. I think because that capital infrastructure yeah. is the one capital. thing that, if you look at our out years, is where we're going to take the biggest hit. I mean, in terms of if we got jammed up to bond yeah. or whatever. Yeah, the only thing that would affect us in the future is if we use it for something that it wouldn't apply to the use of those funds. You know, non-reoccurring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. supplant basically some yeah. future yeah. capital okay. projects. Yeah. Um, and below are several areas that are considered eligible uses. Um, general government services, and that's because our entire amount that we were allocated qualifies under the revenue loss provision. Um, so the amount was 10 million, up to 10 million. So our entire amount qualifies under that. Um, also supporting the COVID-19 public health and economic response premium pay for eligible workers, um, and of course we have the invested in investing in water, sewer, and broadband infrastructure. And then we have um, our last page, our last recommendation, um, it's basically stating that although there's no indication that the higher revenue levels that we've seen in the last year will not be sustained in the near future, that the county needs to remain cautious with regards to spending and budget growth. Um, and that the last few years, the results were way above expectation and that periods like this will or can reverse at some point and that we need to be prepared. Um, given current economic and global realities, this is not a time for optimistic revenue projections or unsupported expenditures. <laughs> so. so. <laughs> Let me start by saying a lot of work goes into this and it takes a lot of time and thank you for all you do so excellently, really much appreciated. <clears throat> and your commissioners, public, are very aware of the uh, uncertainties of revenue forecasting. One of the more interesting uh, indicators of future revenue in the U.S. economy has always been the stock market and for those of you who follow it, last month or two is not suggestive of brighter days ahead in all regards. So uh, we have our uh, cautious eye on the situation. 
The property tax side, which is what, 60%, 55 to 60% is versus 40 for, for income side is much less vulnerable. But the income side, because it, the capital gains component could be up or down for, between four and 10 million. It's, it's got a big hit now. It's much a much bigger part of our budget and is more volatile, so we, we are uh, cautious of it. End of speech. So I'm going to skate to education. <laughs> so the preliminary 340,000, I talked to Todd briefly, and I've been trying to get the backbone on that. Right now, that's based on actual numbers, right? Student numbers? Um, because if they do what they want to do in Annapolis with that bill, we would be back to 2019 numbers, which would basically put us back at 2.5% escalator on the baseline, the original baseline, correct? I know that all sounds Greek to some people at home. That's but right. It, it's, yeah, so that 340,000 is based on our actual student population right now for right. the MOU. Well, I think that it took the 17, 18, and 19 years into account also and took an average when we met with the Board of Ed. But I thought we couldn't go below the highest, right? Right? I believe so. But, and then we were still subject to the escalator, correct? I guess my, my question, and I haven't found the answer yet, so maybe hopefully you can, is what that baseline they're going to use. I think that bill is addressing the fact that they're not going to falsely move the baseline on us this year. Right. So that we don't get hit basically with two and a half and then basically compound interest with another two and a half right out of the gate next year. Does that sound about where we're at with it right now? I, I believe so, but I haven't seen a whole lot of information come out yet. Um, Being very hush-hush about it yeah. till they pass it. I mean, it's, it's Your like, guess. It yeah, does like, solve, it's cause like some concern. It's espionage <laughs> secrets they're holding tight to the vest. Okay, yeah, I you mean, know, I've heard some different. I think I we wouldn't be surprised if they come back in at the full two and a half percent. There's right. still a lot of uh, uncertainty in the, in the uh, General Assembly right now with, with how this is all shaken out, in particular with the bigger counties, so I would not be surprised that it comes in. Yeah, and I just got a feeling that's higher. what we got to prepare for, which for us, yes. where it's 340, it's really going to be 1.8 million. Yep. So it'd be considerably more than what that is, which I'm sure the school system wouldn't mind. And, but, you know, to be fair. Right. All right. Anybody else? I just want to support this with baked goods because you see these are the rich days so you have the brownies on top but underneath the rich days are the oatmeal raisin cookies to sustain you so we will get to the oatmeal raisin period in life so we want you to be cautious all right have your have your brownies now but oh. but know that the oatmeal is coming. all right thank you so all right okay i'll back pass back. that down all right as yeah. for you guys gotta have one of those thank you linda being rude here so i'll take one Todd's eating, so we have to wait. You know, yeah, we the, had to wait. The meeting's uh, on pause. <laughs> Thank you both for that excellent presentation yeah, and, the, and the brownies. Perfect. Thank you. I'm hoping you're uh, establishing a trend for other presenters. <laughs> you're going to have Doc C back in here. <laughs> what did I just tell you? <laughs> He's probably looming around the corner. Uh, Ready to move on to new business, commissioners? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, tab number two, we have... Um, uh, two items for the Department of Public Works, and I believe they are both for the Roads Board. Motion to convene us at Roads. Second. Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Roads. 
All right, first up, uh, we have Shane Moore, our Chief Reds Engineer, and he's going to present the contract for the paving project in the Chesapeake Bay Business Park. With this Ukrainian tie-on. Yes. <laughs> Do you want to make a motion? Or? Yeah. I believe that's a Princeton tie. You want the uh, move the motion to award the Chesapeake Bay Business Park Rehabilitation Project to David A. Bramble, Incorporated of Chestertown, Maryland, in the amount of $739,210 via State Highway Administration contracts XY9175577 and XX1675474R. Second. Motion second. That was a mouthful. <laughs> <clears throat> Tell us about this. Uh, as you may know, uh, the Chesapeake Bay Business Park, uh, constructed in the 80s, to this point has never been repaved or any uh, infrastructure work done at this time. Uh, we initiated a state aid project in 2020 with <coughs> approval in 2000, November of 2021. Um, being a state aid project, uh, this would be 80% funded by the state and 20% funded by the county. We have a total cost, uh, updated cost of $739,210 uh, via the state contracts that were just referenced. Um, we have approval from the state, as I said, um, and this would be to basically fix uh, numerous inlet structures in the business park and then do a mill and uh, mill of two inches, a patch, and then pave two inches. This is all our fine 20 year McAdam. It lasted 33 years 33. and it's still not too bad, but it is getting to the point it really Good needs to be done. Right. Yeah. So it's held up really well, actually. It's yeah. held up very well. So, so um, just for our business park uh, tenants and no economic development directors out there, we probably would like to know the answer to this one. How much is this going to affect? Is it going to be at night? Is it going to affect traffic within the business park? Or do you have any ideas? Um, the inlet structure work shouldn't uh, affect traffic much at all. It'd be working right around the inlets, and then when they mill and patch, it's a pretty wide road. It's 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 forty foot wide. Yeah, there's plenty of room okay. to move around, and so. there's really never much traffic except maybe very first thing in the morning. Morning in the afternoon, yes. right? That's what I'm thinking. Yes. And as as part of this project, we'll be doing bateau um, back to the sanitary district as well. Okay. So we'll be mindful of the uh, daycare that's in there. Perfect. Looking forward to doing the project. It's it's very needed. Yes. So we had a motion second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Four in favor? One on assignment. One on assignment. <laughs> on assignment. <laughs> All right, commissioners, item number two on page four is the um, Elm Street public hearing request for a special benefit assessment hearing. I move to schedule the proposed Elm Street improvement project public hearing at the Kent Island Estates Community Hall. We'll also Second. need to, and we'll also need to specify a date if we approve this motion. We need uh, a couple of dates here for that meeting. So we'll have to coordinate calendars. Okay. Yes. This is similar to the Worcester Road project we just had a public hearing for a few months ago. We've had the public information meeting. It went very well. Um, the information is contained in this memo. Um, it's $127,000 approximately for 25 property owners. Um, it's, a, it's a very good project. We're looking forward to getting started. Um, we just need to go through the public hearing process and get more, a little more public input on the project. Do we need to set the date right now or just have vote on the hearing? I guess we just vote on the hearing. We can set the date um, so at a later to, time. Just amend the motion if you want to pick the date. That's all. Well, I had the blink. I wasn't sure we should. Yeah. All right. We'll just we'll get the hearing date later. We can. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Motion carries. Are you 
do you need the date now? I mean, you... No, um, we, uh, I worked with Margie to put these dates in the memo, but um, the 13th and 14th is actually county engineers, but I'm more than willing to skip that for the hearing if, that, if need be. We can circulate some dates this week by email. We'll, we'll get some dates around and we'll circulate those and check with Commissioner Moran right. sure. and then uh, pick a date. He doesn't care. He said, he told Chris. Go on. Just go with it. <laughs> we need a quorum down there. Wait so. a minute now. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Robert Shore's order say absence is consent. Well, he's in favor of whatever he said. <laughs> <laughs> so before you get out of here, real quick, could you, could you give us an update on how that Perry's Corner Road is going and um, I don't how that project is? Complete <clears throat> update at this point. I mean, they're still working on it, but I don't, I don't have an actual end date yet. Okay. I mean, they, they said four months when we first were, were told about the project, so I'm just wondering if we're tracking still. Yes, but I, I don't have an end date when it's actually going to be final with the actual final pave on top of it. Okay. Can we... We'll get you a, get, we'll get get you a schedule. A, yeah, yeah, get us something. Mm -hmm. We'll get you an update on that, certainly. Yeah. Because there's a lot going on. They got water sewer. You got roads. I understand. So yeah, I understand yeah. the complexity yeah. of it. Yep. That doesn't change the fact that folks want to know. Yeah. How much longer this is going to be? That's all. Okay. And then is Piney Narrows Road? On, I talked to Todd about this and checked into. Is that on the schedule to be redone this year? Hopefully. Piney Narrows to our Heritage Center and. Uh, we paved that about. Yeah, you did. Last year. They not too long ago. Yeah. It doesn't look that good. It's comes. They did, and they did Squad Cove Road that goes that goes right, up part, to the yeah, edge of the back park. There, that was just a few years ago. Uh, we can certainly um, we have we just did a uh, uh, inlet clean out on that project as part of the uh, new revetment or the new uh, bulkhead going in at the Heritage facility. Okay. So, um, though, as part of that, there is some pipe replacement that'll happen out on Piney's Narrow, and there'll be some patent some paving involved with that. Um, and we'll look at it at that point if we need to redo the whole road. But from I don't really think we need to do it at this point. But we can certainly, we'll look at it. Well, you made some, a handful of folks that live on that Swan Cove Road up there. Um, am I, is that right? Is that Swan Cove? Swan Cove, yeah. yes. They, they, they wanted to make sure that I extended a hearty thank you to you and your, your staff. Sure. All right. So I have. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Shane. Thank you, sir. All right, commissioners, continuing on with our new action items, if you want to turn to tab number three. Uh, tab three, Which one you want? item one, page one, we have a counts. proclamation for character counts, responsibility. Uh, whereas Queen Anne's County was declared a characters counts community, and whereas all citizens have been called upon to embrace the six pillars of character and incorporate them into their daily activities and to model these traits in, in of good character, and whereas the characters counts pillar of the month of March is responsibility and whereas responsibility can be defined as the duty to be mindful of colleagues, customers, and community, and to use discretion, compassion, and care when making decisions that affect one's self and others in relationships, finance, and business. Further accepting accountability for those actions is paramount as in the willingness to learn and grow from the experiences. And whereas all citizens should be aware that responsibility includes the consideration of how decisions may impact others upon oneself. It includes exercising discretion, thoughtfulness, and respect in regard to interacting with others. Whereas all citizens will incorporate these values in their daily lives by making proper choices, taking into consideration the potential, excuse me, the potential outcomes. 
and whereas all citizens will attempt to set forth the responsibilities to one's community by being involved in local issues, asking substantive questions, using the right to vote, and uh, following through on initiatives. And whereas each citizen has the responsibility to stay curious, maintain the thirst for knowledge, and share the passion for learning with others. Now, therefore, it seems only responsible for the county commissioners to commission commissioners to hereby designate character counts pillar of the month of March to be responsibility. It seems responsible. We like to be responsible. Thank you. Okay. All right. Thank you, Commissioner Dumanel. Uh, item number two on page two is uh, Proclamation 2216 for Endometriosis Awareness Month. Stevie. You no, no, I'm going to. Yeah. Uh, you want me to? I'm going to see how tongue twisted I can get on this when I started reading it. <laughs> Proclamation 2216. Whereas March is Endometriosis Awareness Month, and whereas endometriosis is a condition where the uterine lining grows outside of the uterus on ovaries, fallopian tubes, and other locations throughout the abdomen and body, and whereas endometriosis affects 176 million reproductive age women worldwide. And whereas those who have endometriosis often have a diminished quality of life due to pain caused by the disease. And whereas unfortunately there has been a general lack of awareness due to the normalization of symptoms being shrugged off as severe menstrual pain, which contributes to delayed diagnosis for many women. And whereas when symptoms are not identified early enough, they can take anywhere between three to 11 years for a woman to be diagnosed with endometriosis as reported by the National Institute of Health and US Library of Medicine. And whereas there are four ways to spread awareness about endometriosis, talk about endometriosis to open lines of communication with yourself, your family, and friends, and most importantly, your healthcare provider. Join an event such as Endomarch, a worldwide event where survivors and supporters gather to march for awareness. Educate yourself for you and or your loved ones that might be experiencing signs and symptoms of endometriosis. Share your story to help others understand what you've been through, which can be a beneficial part of the healing process. Now, therefore, we, the county commissioners of Queen Anne's County, do hereby proclaim March as Endometriosis Awareness Month to bring awareness to the debilitating disease so the healing process can begin. Jack, I'd say you knocked it out of the park. Thank you. Got all the well done. I need some water. All right. Thank you, Commissioner Wilson. Okay, moving on. Item number three on page three is a um, memorandum from uh, Parks and Recreation, Steve Chanley and Nancy Scazzari. This is for Maryland Heritage Area Authority's grant support for the Bloomfield Farm Manor House. And this is for a, a um, request to support uh, this grant application uh, for $35,000. It is a 50-50 grant to allow Barton Ross and partners to provide an overall assessment of the Bloomfield Manor House at White Marsh Park. I move to support the MHAA grant application to provide an assessment of Bloomfield Manor House and Grounds and to provide a cash match of $17,500. Second. Um, Question? Yes. Um, so an assessment to determine what? Nancy, you want to come up? Want to come up? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good evening. So um, the assessment is to study the the architectural um, components of the structure itself, um, its readiness to maybe house some um, 
some use, uh, public use. Um, also the grounds, um, on, uh, phase one archeological study is proposed as part of this study, um, as well as the architectural assessment. So it, it's a study just to give us information to know how to move forward in the future if, if that's, you know, what we care to do. So question, some repair work did get done on it during its, mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> interrupted progress. Um, is there any thought of what the eventual use might be? Uh, not that I'm aware of at this time. Right. Um, you know, there's uh, anything from the zoning and, um, you know, conditional use approval that might be needed, um, fire suppression, ADA compliance. There's a lot. Yeah. A long list to make that building publicly accessible, but that that doesn't uh, that doesn't make it um, unavailable for future public use of some type or a curatorship or, or something of that sort. Right. I didn't know if you had something up your sleeve. Well, th this assessment will help us maybe make some of those decisions going forward in terms of what can, you know sure you know levels of use. I, I, I wasn't calling it into question. I was just wondering if. You know, if there'd been any ideas advanced, because I mean, I, there's been many ideas over the years. I mean, everything. What sort from, of shape is the building actually in? You know, it's, mean, it's funny. It depends on who you ask. But um, I'm I've, asking. I've, how about you? <laughs> you're asking me. So I've been in a lot of historic buildings and done quite a bit of, of rehabilitation, renovation myself. But um, it's uh, there are some some components that really need a lot of work. And, um, and very expensive work at, um, at that. But in general, um, you know, it, it, so the, it can be done. It's, is it's, the, the outside structure is okay, but no heat, or what, what's, the, what's uh, going the, on? Uh, the ar architecturally, there's some components that were repaired by the previous tenant, and, uh, uh, but there's still a long way to go. Um, there's, uh, as far as like electric, water, um, the big one being some kind of septic or sewer uh, is non-existent at this point. So, um, you know, whether there's a, a future plan to maybe hook up to a public sewer or um, right. per, there aren't perks available okay. right around the building, but there's a lot, there's a lot to do structurally still. Right. Um, uh, the, the basement was, um, it was a dirt floor, which functioned well, but somewhere along the lines, um, they chose to put concrete floor. And so the concrete floor wicks the water, all the mortar rotted out, so all the brick in the basement, which is the foundation, would have to be repointed and, and you know, reset at some point. Mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot of work to be done structurally, uh, a lot of money to be spent, but. Right, good. Yeah, if you find a good, uh, you know, redaptive use for it, um, you know, there may be, there may be way to do it. So on a historical building like that, is the UNO dependent on, um, I guess, occupancy in terms of usage going to trigger the sprinkler system? Because I got, I mean, just looking at that, I got to believe that's going to be a pretty big it, um, water on site. I, I spoke with the uh, the fire marshal um, uh, and, and the review um, reviewer, Jeff Morgan, uh, about a year ago, or maybe it was two years ago now, um, uh, when the former tenant was, was looking to occupy and use it for a public building. And it's, it's not so much the UNO, or it, it's just the fact that it's a public building. 
and the size of it and that it would need some form of fire suppression. Um, a, a gravity tank or, or something like that wouldn't, um, wouldn't suffice there. He's thinking probably something along the lines of, um, of a two-tank system, uh, which would be cause for uh, digging a new well. Um, and, and again, you know, if there were some kind of public water and sewer, it would make things a lot easier. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, yeah. the expense on the route you're talking about. Mm -hmm. But but there's also you know there's also other things to be factored in. I mean you don't necessarily have to use all three stories of the building, if just the ground. That's why I was asking about occupancy. If you didn't use the whole building and you say your occupancy was maintained under a certain amount, does that? Yeah. If if you if you limited public use to the first floor, you'd maybe just have to um, provide fire suppression to the first floor. Okay. And, and, you know, if, if the second and third floor were, say, used by a, a nonprofit that, you know, operated the, the public component of it and it was offices, um, it wouldn't have to be right, necessarily. Right. Okay. Yeah. Any other questions? All those in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? Thank you. Motion carries. Thank you. Thank you. I, I did also include a letter for signature that's to be included with the grant application. I'll send it to you. Thank you, Marjorie. Yep. Thank you. All right, thank you, Nancy. All right, commissioners, item number four on page, pages five through eight. Uh, this is um, an informational item from the um, airport manager, Linda Steiner. This is about the, the Bay Bridge Airport run, runway rehabilitation and safety improvements. And this is just kind of to give you a, a little background. Um, there, there is currently an RFP out for run, runway reconstruction as well as additional drainage and airfield lighting and signage. These are generally safety improvements that are required by the FAA, and we've been working on this plan for a number of years. So at, at our next meeting, uh, Linda will be here with, with uh, the consultant to uh, be requesting a determination for the winning bidder for a contract to do these improvements. That then goes to FAA for concurrence. Uh, it is a bigger project. It's about $7 million estimated right now. The good news is 90% is FAA funding. 5% is MAA funding and 5% is county funding. So, wow. so the 95% will be, um, if you want to say, outside agencies, grants uh, for the overall project, but it, that will be in front of you next week if you have any questions or want to go visit. In the meantime, we want to give you a heads up on that. I know Steve has been on top of this. He was out there. I am information on top of it. Do you have any questions, sir? I do not. <laughs> no. I do not. Mm -mm. They, when they created the runway, they just ran asphalt out over a swamp, and it's now in full collapse. So, but it's 18 inches thick, so that all has to be dug up. Seven. Do you, do you think when when uh, our airport manager comes in at the end of the month that she'd have some information for us about? the usage of the airport, how many flights, you know, sure. are coming in and coming out. And sure. We can absolutely, we have everything tracked. It just be, you know, she's going to be here and, and we're going to, you know, pull the trigger on this. And, uh, it'd be nice to have some additional information about uh, how awesome that airport truly is and <clears throat> the use that it gets. We can certainly do that. I guess with this, we really don't have a choice. If I'm no. not mistaken, under the previous no. one, once, had, once you, like you just close the airport, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> once you acquire an airport, right? You do I, no, I remember all the conversations about money. The, There's no the, saying goodbye. This is a tar baby. Yeah. That, no, we've had our share of them out there. Yeah. Okay. 
and but rent, rent it's, the, it's actually gone from being it was for years and years cash negative by 60 or 70 thousand a year and now it's cash positive I think by last year it was 150 thousand or something I don't think you could ask for a better partner FAA and MAA you know they're helpful mm -hmm. very helpful. also the fact that they gave us the piece of land which we subsequently converted into a hundred thousand dollar income piece and a three million dollar sale huh? in the, oh, the, the, the gardens yeah, yeah. yeah. the gardens yeah. Mm -hmm. deal which netted us three million and a hundred which gets regraded up every ten years so that that took us from minus to plus okay all right, any other questions or information you want for next uh, meeting on that? If you do, in the meantime, let me know. We'll make sure we have that available for you. All right, moving on, item number five on pages 9 through 31 is um, a uh, grant application for phase two of our branding project, and this will get a little bit deeper into the branding with uh, economic development and tourism, and they're going to apply for this second phase to... Um, for implementation of the branding across our departments uh, to create a business brand ambassador program, etc. So, uh, can I get a motion on that? Move to support Queen Anne's County Economic and Tourism Development in their application for funding for the USDA RBDG grant program and authorize the Director of Economic and Tourism Development to execute the application. Second. Got a motion and a second. Anybody have any questions for Heather? Are you those here? If you have any questions, I think it's been a great rebranding. <coughs> um, I know that we had some differences of opinions on the logo, and, and I'm glad Jim's not here to say how you know he lost, and yes. that we ended up going with what we went. And I think it was an excellent choice, and I can't wait to see the second half. That's why he's not here today. <laughs> Still reeling. Heather said, "Well, he's out of town. Can we come in for phase two? <laughs> He's still having a little bit of sour grapes. <laughs> he never got. Over. I imagine in Aruba, he's getting over them. Yeah, <laughs> they're not that sour. On assignment. All right. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Have fun right. with that, Heather. All right. Thank you, commissioners, and thank you, Heather. Uh, item six on pages 32 through 82 is the Federal Transit Administration and Maryland Transit Administration Certificates and Assurance for our county ride packet. And this is for the FY23 Annual Transportation Plan for the county. Uh, uh, signing, executing these documents informs the FTA and MTA that Queen Anne's County Area on Aging certifies that it will operate our public transit system and the statewide specialized system in compliance with those certifications and programs assurances. Kathy has a tremendous amount of faith in us. Yeah, we do. She's this. usually here for, for this. <laughs> this is kind of an annual. Stop the authorizing resolution 2201 for the Federal Transit Administration and Maryland Transit Administration certifications and assurances FY 2023 packet to certify the Queen Anne's County Department of Community Services Area Agency on Aging will operate the public transit system and statewide specialized transportation assistance program SSTAP. Second. Could you uh, state that again, Jack? I didn't hear that whole motion. <laughs> I think you have to when you uh, reread the motion. Any discussion? All in favor? Aye. Aye. <laughs> Any opposed? All right. That's a long motion. Yeah. Wait, look at the next wait, one. Wait till you see the next one. <laughs> All right. 
Moving on, commissioners, thank you. Uh, item seven on pages 83 through 96 is the Maryland Department of Transportation Administration Coronavirus Response and Relief Supplemental Appropriations Act Operating Assistance Act grant. So this is a similar uh, document that informs MDTA, or MTA, excuse me, that the county accepts federal and state funding to support transit services in the county ride as the <clears throat> locally operated transit system in Queen Anne's County. I move to hereby accept the Maryland Department of Transportation Administration MDOT MTA Coronavirus Response and Relief Supplemental Appropriations Act CRRSAA Operating Assistance Act Agreement Agreements Packet to certify that the Queen Anne's County Department of Community Services Agency on Aging will operate the public transit system and accept the award as offered by the State of Maryland Department of Transportation. Second. Second. Motion and a second. Any discussion? All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? We're good. All right, thank you, commissioners. Okay, item number eight. And this is a, a big item as well. Um, this is a, the transition of the human resources ordinance to a human resources handbook. Item eight, uh, pages 97 through 192. And um, as you know, over the past several years, the communication and morale committee has conducted a review of our ordinance for the purposes of updating and converting it from the county code to a handbook. So this allows us to make adjustments, you know, subject to the commissioner's approval without having public hearings on a lot of attributes and uh, qualifications for the um, you know, operations, standard operating procedures for the county employees. Um, a lot of the items are housekeeping for clarification, but it, there are some recommendations that are a little more substantial. So uh, Beverly Churchill is here. If you have any questions about any of these, uh, she can identify those if, uh, have any I thought since it was only 95 pages, if Beverly would come up and read it, that would be. I, I, I was going to make, Commissioner Wilson, I was going to make a motion that we suspend the decision on this for at least another month to be able to read it all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, Beverly's going to. All right, you guys want to. I mean, we, we certainly can. I mean, <laughs> we, it's still shorter than the motion, Jack, right? Yeah. In addition to that, we do want to recommend that we, uh, we, we, we have to hold a public hearing, so we would ask that we can schedule a public hearing to adopt these, and then uh, they would be effective July 1st of, of this year. So we can go ahead and see two motions, right? We've got to introduce it, and then, we, well, we got to move to adopt it, then we introduce it for the public hearing, correct? Yeah. Yes. I move that we set up for a public hearing. Well, wait a minute, first we've got to adopt it. I move to adopt the new Human Resources Handbook and procedure to apply for Retirement Disability Benefits Policy to be effective July 1, 2022. And now. Second. So, got a second. Oh, Steve, got a second right Steve, here. Steve, yeah, so I'll second. Phil seconds it. All right, approve that one. Everybody's in favor, aye. Aye. Any opposed? You're off the hook, Beverly. Uh, next one. Now Steve. you got the next motion. Huh? Now you can. Move to introduce, you can make a motion to introduce, to introduce County Ordinance 2208. No, I make a motion to introduce County 208. Okay, here we go. I move to adopt the new human no, resource. No, no, that's that's what I just did. Where are you? Right here. Or, yeah. Secondly, the commissioners will need that. Yep. Mm -hmm. Will need introduce. to introduce the County Ordinance 2208 as prepared by Patrick Thompson to modify the existing county code. Second. Motion to second. All in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? Good. Motion carries. You're good. Beautiful. It's introduced. All right. A lot of this stuff we've actually already worked on. 
Yeah. yeah, we've been discussing it for yeah. a number of years, and I want to thank, uh, you know, publicly Beverly Churchill and our employee communication and morale committee. They've done a lot of work on this, and it's uh, a lot of conversations, a lot of discussions about, you know, these, some of these changes. So it's well, well done, well put together. Thank you. All right, uh, next commissioners, we have uh, budget amendment CC38 for the sanitary wastewater treatment and water distribution. I move to approve budget amendment CC 38. Second. Got a motion and a second. Any discussion? All those in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? Motion carries. Thank you, commissioners. Item number 10 is Board of Education transfer between major state categories, and this is uh, to transfer from other instructional contracts to transportation salaries, 30,000 to account for two bus drivers. I'll make a motion to approve the transportation monies <clears throat> salaries of $30,000 to be able to allow the Board of Ed to achieve two more bus drivers. Second. Motion second. Any discussion? All in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? How was the motion, wasn't it? Motion carries. Okay. Thank you, Commissioners. RG, do you need me to repeat that? <laughs> And I'll note uh, Commissioner Duma now excused our Board of Education representatives from being here this evening. They were here earlier. I knew so. you guys would unanimously approve the uh, transfer of, <laughs> and budget amendment. So now because of that, there's a shortage of bus drivers. They're at home enjoying yeah. dinner. And, and there is a shortage of bus drivers and really yeah. a lot of employees from the from So the Board in, of Ed. in our in our in our meeting with the uh, prior to the commissioner's meeting with the Board of Ed, it was Comforting to know that you know, with the world searching for CDL drivers, that they were able to get some, and and we often have kids on buses for a couple hours, and that's a long time for a little one to be on a bus, especially when the end destination is a school building with a mask on. Not right. Anymore. So now we're good. Now we're good. Marketing back a little ways. That's All right. All right. Thank you, commissioners. Item uh, 11, actually it's two items, it's the same letter, but we have uh, two letters of support that we put together uh, to the Speaker of the House and President of the Senate to support uh, funding for the NEPA Tier 2 Bay Bridge study. I will gladly make this. <laughs> I move to execute the letter to Speaker Jones and Senate Majority Leader Ferguson in support of the NEPA, two, or NEPA Phase 2 funding for the Chesapeake Bay Bridge. Second. Got a motion and a second. Any discussion? Kind of ironic Jim isn't here for this one. I, I he know. Make it. He's going to be jealous. Probably tuned in right now, though, and just knowing kind of when it was going to happen. You'll feel it. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Motion carries. Aye. Thank you, commissioners. And our desk item tonight, item 12, is the Mosquito Control Program. Uh. This is the annual 2022 Mosquito Control Agreement with uh, MDA, or Maryland Department of Agriculture and uh, to allocate funding up to $30,000 for our program per our annual agreement. I move to approve the 2022 Mosquito Control Agreement with the Maryland Department of Agriculture to allocate funding up to $30,000 for the program per the agreement. Second. Motion and a second. Any discussion about mosquitoes? Do we, do we have any idea how many folks jump on this, different communities? in Queen Anne's County to jump on board and take advantage of? We, we have those numbers. Usually there's... Uh, Are we oh, getting... Uh, is there any yeah. interest? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, there, yeah. There there is. Is. They, okay. pretty much, they wipe it out before the end of the year. Yeah. Ridge does. 
Yeah. Yeah. You'd okay. be surprised. There's quite usually, a few. Usually the bigger problem they have is if who's going to like take the lead within the community right. to gather everything. But when someone does it, everybody does chip into it. Okay. Yeah, it's a very effective program. We can get the numbers for you. Several communities sign up, and we have well over a thousand households each year that sign up. And okay. you know, so it's it's a good it's a good program. All right. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? Mosquitoes have it. Motion carries. <laughs> Die, die. <laughs> all right, thank you, commissioners. That is all the action items we have for this evening. We can go to press and public comments, part two. Anything? Anything? The list? No. Okay. Round table? Round table. Who'd like to go first? I'll go first. Right. Uh, just again to reiterate, um, with uh, Dr. Ciotola's visit about the importance of looking forward to some of those underlying conditions that caused the deaths that, that, that COVID did and, and to look uh, further down the road about trying to improve our own personal health um, through whatever activities you enjoy doing or, or, or take up an activity. Um, it's a shame that, you know, that that age bracket was, was the targeted numbers for the, the deaths that took place. But if we can learn from COVID and make adjustments to our own lifestyles, um, so if, God forbid, something like this ever happens again as we get into our uh, later years, that we're in better shape than we, than we need to be. Or as in good a shape as we need. Why, why do you look at me when you say I, get I in wasn't, I wasn't. I mean, I guess I wasn't. A little side dude, you're, eye there. Dude, you're at the gym. I'm proud of you. You go to the gym, you're, I'm proud of you. One day I'll go to the gym and use the equipment. <laughs> you hear what he just said? I heard him. <laughs> I heard him. I'm trying to ignore him, but I heard him. I try to explain to him that at the gym, the equipment's the same thing. It's it doesn't work to, you out. You've got to work out. You've got to work out on it. Just look at it and I start sweating. And his razor. His razor, too. He needs to actually turn it on when he goes to use it. All right. That's all I have. Sorry. Commissioner Wilson. Commissioner. Uh, which Wilson? Go to speak. I, yeah. So, hey, I, I hope I, I'm ahead of the uh, mask um, game on the next pandemic if we have it so I can make the million everybody else made on masks. Mm -hmm. And secondly, uh, what did I, oh, I did have one. So Tax Freedom Day is typically 125 days into the new tax year to when you have paid in all the taxes you will pay and everything you make after, I think it's April 18th or something, is yours for the rest of the year. But with existing gas prices, I'm thinking that may be stretched out a few months. So I, I just, Save your pennies because you're going to need them. And that's it. Somebody had to say something about gas. The other Wilson. Sir. So I just very struck this week with the uh, effects of this Ukrainian disaster because as far away as it is, it reaches right into this country with the cost of food, energy, and everything which affects our people enormously too and it's a uh, astonishing disaster so what it's worth there you go sir all right well since 
None of you heathens mentioned it. Today is International Women's Day. So <laughs> I, I, I want to live for you. You Chris. live with four of them. <laughs> I want to you know, say thank you to all the women, and I think it's also worthwhile noting that um, probably the majority of the county departments, our directors, are women, um, and they are keeping our county like a well-oiled machine, much better job. When, when Margie was here doing Todd's job, I thought we I ago, thought we all agreed we weren't going to go there. It was much smoother. <laughs> we weren't going to we weren't going to do that to him. So I just thought I pointed yeah, out. So silent they, vote, but we're not going to discuss. Thank that. you to all the women of the county for all you do, not just professionally, but also they're always sacrificing more to make sure the kids are taken care of. They always work two jobs and the third job when they have to deal with husbands. So it's, uh, their work does not go unnoticed. So thank you to the women of the county. Um, you always have, do you have a calendar you, that has I all the special days? Does. I have a house full I of mean, women. They, they tell me every day. <laughs> I get it. I know where my place is no, in I'm life. I'm going to go home and I'm going to feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then last thing, you know, there is a Russian property here in Queen Anne's County. Let's get it. Which has been... I think under the custody of the State Department since before two election cycles ago, right? 16. And I think we should find out what the State Department's intent with that property is because I, I think they should finish whatever they have to do to seize it and then give that to Queen Anne's County so that we can find some use for it that benefits <laughs> the citizens of Queen Anne's County. <laughs> I think we should look at that because we certainly can. We could have, it could be, it's a beautiful property and there could Staff be a lot of benefit. Retreat. I was say the president of the county commissioners could take up residence there. I mean, New York, they have Gracie Manor for the mayor. I just, I, I'm open to other suggestions. I just think that's one, just one we should put out there. I think we just need to get back to this violates international law. I'd love to see what we can find out. Uh, but I, I think we should find out. If the State Department is going to fully seize it, it would be um, a nice thing for Queen Anne's County to be able to benefit from that. I mean, it's completely that. off the tax rolls, correct? What's that? Yeah. It is off the tax rolls. tax exempt, so, yeah. Yes, it is. No, I, any embassy property right. is a piece of that country. Unless the because State Department has it, correct? No, it, all they are is excluded from it. It doesn't change its legal designation at all. Um, we could always go down there and stand guard. Right, yes, sir. We could always go down there and, and take it over. We could give it to Ukraine. There you go. Yeah. All right, I'll make so a motion. I'll with that espionage. Yeah. I'll make with a that motion. national security breach we just created. Get us out of here before we get in more trouble, Phil. Yes, I'll make a motion to adjourn. Second. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Yeah.